leading a startup team, whether you're delivering a sugar rush, stocking coffee, or getting a regular delivery of snacks, Office Depot has solutions that fit every startup culture, from getting those first business cards and stationery to ordering fleece pullovers with your new logo. To learn how Office Depot and the California Technology Council have partnered to bring you savings on all of these startup essentials and more, go to californiatechnology.org forward slash member benefits. I'm Daniel Levine, and this is the Bio Report. The convergence of artificial intelligence in the life sciences is promising to revolutionize the entire healthcare continuum, including the way drugs are discovered, how clinical trials are conducted, the methods physicians use to diagnose patients, and how patients are monitored and treated. The life sciences investment firm Foresight Capital, armed with a new $668 million fund, is helping to bring about this change by backing innovative companies working at this nexus of information technology and biotechnology. We spoke to Brett Zabar and Vic Bajaj, managing directors of Foresight, about their new fund, what constitutes a Foresight investment, and why they believe this is not just the latest fad, but a meaningful change in the way life science companies seek to address the challenges in all aspects of healthcare. Brett, Vic, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having us, Danny. Thanks very much. We're going to talk about Foresight Capital, its investment focus, and why it sees big opportunities in applying data science and machine learning to problems within the healthcare and life sciences. Let's start with your latest fund. In May, the firm announced that it closed its fourth fund, by far its largest, a $688 million fund. What will constitute an appropriate investment for this fund? What companies will catch your eye? Sure. Thanks, Danny. This is Brett. Thanks again for uh, having us today. So really, since inception, Foresight Capital has been identified, uh, been focused on identifying companies that have the potential to become leaders in their field. And uh, that has primarily entailed companies developing transformative therapies in the areas of greatest unmet medical need. And complementing that, again, since really the inception of the fund, has been a significant focus on data and data as it applies to healthcare. Uh, when you step back and think about our sector in particular, there is an enormous volume of information continually coming at us in the form of information related to clinical trials, reimbursement information, intellectual property data, uh, really from all angles. And it's uh, too much for any individual general partner or even set of general partners to uh, incorporate, ingest, and then use on their own. So Foresight has set up a platform to bring in this information and structure it in a way that the full team has access to it and can apply it to both investment decisions and our portfolio management. Uh, on top of that, in our fourth fund, we are leveraging a significant internal investment we've made on data science as it relates specifically to biological principles. 
and we're excited about how that is beginning to express itself in the fourth fund. So really, it's uh, the fourth fund is consistent in our overall strategy in terms of identifying future leaders in their field with this overlay of data science as it applies to biological principles. It seems like we're in this period where there are lots of companies coming into the fray claiming to, to marry artificial intelligence with life sciences. I saw one recent number that tallied 85 startups using AI and drug discovery that have raised a total of $2 billion. What's the case to make that this is more than just the flavor of the day? Um, that's a that's a very good question. This is uh, uh, Vic Bajaj. Um I, I would agree with you. Actually, from my point of view, this is the third generation of, of efforts which really seek to marry tools of data science with the life sciences to address uh, various problems. And I think in each generation, we've had an increasing amount of success. And though the raw ingredients are there, um, almost 90% of what we see in this space is uh, flawed, um, sometimes deeply flawed. And uh, though the investment activity is considerable, uh, I think from our point of view, um, the successful examples share a few features uh, that we can we can go into, um, where there's good evidence uh, that uh, those features are you know correlated with future success. Um, so some of those things include the formulation of a, a hypothesis, something that's very clear, a clear problem that they're trying to address. And then, of course, um, the data sets that these companies assemble, they must be statistically capable of answering those clear questions, and that's often not the case uh, in many of the examples that we see. And then the approach to solving those problems has to be done with a degree of rigor, uh, including um, uh, a plan to really validate any conclusions that result from early examinations of observational data. Um, so because of that, most of the companies that we see now that are, are very good investable opportunities, they're actually prospectively generating data that are really um, well designed uh, to be amenable uh, to the methods of, of uh, modern data science. And so from our point of view, you know, even though there are many, many players in the space, there are far fewer that really meet those criteria. Uh, and those are the ones um, uh, in, w in which we've invested. The thought of applying machine learning and artificial intelligence to gleam insight from massive amounts of unstructured data is very seductive. But it also seems that it's not easy to do and remains to a large extent an unproven thesis. We're in this time of unprecedented data being generated through the, the healthcare continuum from a, a range of omics, including genomics, to data now in electronic medical records. Where's the greatest opportunity to use this data? Is it from improving drug discovery and development or, or making clinical decisions, or, or is it elsewhere? Um, I mean, I, th I think you're right. The, the promise um, of these new data science approaches, whether they're based on machine learning and artificial intelligence or just good scalable statistical methods, um, it, it is, is really broad. You know, um, it is invoked as being catalytic in everything from early stage discovery all the way to um, the uh, uh, deployment of clinical care. 
And um, I, I think the cases uh, where this is going to be most successful and where there's the best evidence are right now uh, where the data sets uh, are already being assembled or have been assembled, and those data sets are designed to answer the right problems. So I can think of two examples. One is um, in the target discovery area, uh, the kind of population-scale genetic and molecular data that are emerging from programs like the UK Biobank and, and others, that, that's the, the main one, you know, they allow us to use uh, very advanced statistical methods from the world of causal inference uh, to really identify drug targets in a way that was um, impossible, uh, you know, even five years ago. The data just didn't exist. And then similarly, on the commercial side, there are uh, some very interesting programs using real-world evidence that comes from uh, large data sets that are, you know, much lower resolution than the kind of molecular and other measurements that, that people most invoke in this field. But nevertheless, they allow you to do a lot of modeling and understanding of how drugs and interventions are working in real populations. So those areas are advancing pretty rapidly, and there are significant commercial opportunities associated with them, um, you know, precisely because the, uh, the, the data uh, sets exist, the appropriate data sets exist. I, I don't think there's any shortage of companies that are, are willing to walk through your door and tell you they're applying AI to solve the problems of drug discovery. What's going to distinguish one from, from one that you invest in? Is it management? Is it technology? Some unique approach they're taking? I mean, I think it's all of the above. And uh, I, can, I can restate um, a, a little bit what I, what I said before and perhaps elaborate on it if you'd like. Um, so the companies that we invest in, they're really distinguished in that they've formulated a good hypothesis or set of hypotheses, whether they're therapeutic or clinical. There's something being tested. And they understand data actually has to be generated in order to test that hypothesis rigorously. And uh, that includes, um, you know, plans to validate any conclusions that they reach from uh, observational data sets. Um, so that is a rare combination, a group that understands the hypothesis, biological or clinical, and understands what data sets are required to address it. And then finally, you know, we look for management teams that understand how to integrate uh, the very different cultures that you find in, um, say, clinical medicine and laboratory discovery science and in the technology industry. Um, and you know, one of the principal ways in which they differ is just, just consider the, the product cycles in the technology industry sometimes are measured in weeks. And uh, obviously, in the life sciences, we measure them in, in years, if not uh, a decade or two. Uh, and so understanding how to integrate those cultures productively uh, is, is a very important core competence of a successful management team in this space, along with uh, the scientific prerequisites. You know, one, one other potential application that may be worth mentioning, and um, there's not a company doing this in the Foresight portfolio, but something that we're certainly paying attention to is the use of uh, fundoscopy uh, in terms of uh, the data sets that are being generated and the learning against those data sets and the potential that it has to impact clinical medicine in a number of different ways that you know, may not be too far into the future. 
and specifically fundoscopy, which is just basically visualizing the back of the eye or the retina, which typically occurs during a uh, primary care physician visit, uh, is something that increasingly can be done um, uh, using mobile handsets with uh, electronic cloud-based data capture. And uh, this is also a, uh, a piece of data that we have access to through many previous clinical trials and that can relatively easily be incorporated into clinical trials going forward. And when you combine uh, visual data sets like fundoscopy that are amenable to machine learning with longitudinal clinical data associated with individual patients, uh, you can um, envision getting to a place where this very straightforward clinical measure can be uh, a fundamental, a new and fundamental part of patient visits, um, because basically it has the potential to be an eye, uh, to be, excuse me, a, a lens, uh, no pun intended, into many different pathological processes going on within a patient, far beyond just basic retinal disease, reading into, for example, uh, diabetes as well as cardiovascular disease and other areas. I recently came across a job listing for Foresight for a biological data scientist and statistician. This is a position that reports to your chief data scientist. These are not positions I'd expect to find in most life science-focused VCs. Do the personnel within Foresight look different than the folks I'm likely to find at other firms? Um, I mean, I, I should uh, say that one of the things that, that attracted me to Foresight as someone who's had uh, operating scientific roles for the majority of his career is, is precisely that uh, we have uh, uh, an environment of real specialists that approach questions of investment diligence and strategy uh, with a, uh, uh, as a team and with a real perspective of uh, scientific teamwork. And um, so as we get into this space uh, of uh, data science uh, and the life sciences in healthcare, you know, it's been really important to build up a team um, that will keep us at the forefront um, in, in that aspect of our portfolio um, and also help to evaluate companies which themselves are increasingly relying on, uh, you know, genomics methods, data science methods uh, in uh, in their internal research. Um, so we decided to, to build a team in that area, and uh, there are a few other things that that team does beyond um, uh, work on our uh, portfolio structure. And uh, that, I think, is, is a little bit unconventional in the data science side. So maybe I can, I can go over that uh, a little bit. So one is, in our field, uh, there are still a set of kind of translational research questions that involve taking methods that are developed in academia, developing them, scaling them up so that they're useful both for the kinds of investment decisions that we have to make and also for some of our portfolio companies who are doing things like using the population genomics data sets that I described before to guide some of their internal R&D. Uh, so this team is is active in in really trying to translate some of those methods and make them useful in an industrial context. Um, and as part of that, um, I mentioned uh, some of our criteria for making investments in this space. Our threshold is very high, and in several cases, we've found that the right companies don't exist yet. And so we are developing a model uh, where we will internally incubate 
some of those ideas and then spin them out uh, as uh, companies once uh, they have had a little bit of uh, de-risking. Uh, and so this team is very new, uh, but is going to be involved in, in all three of those uh, activities. Vic, before you joined Foresight, you were one of the folks out there that were melding information technology and biotechnology at Grail, and before that, Verily, which was Google Life Sciences. You've said you thought you could have more influence by joining Foresight. What did you mean by that? Um, I think that there are many, many experiments, if you can phrase it that way, that the field is starting at the intersection of data science and the life sciences. Uh, now, Verily has a focus set of several experiments, some that are successful, others that are still in flight, if you will, and will read out years from now. Grail has been a very focused and successful experiment in one area, uh, but I think there are many others. And uh, from uh, the point of view of an investor, you have the opportunity to try to influence and guide uh, many of them, uh, though, of course, you can't get involved as deeply in uh, any single one. So to my point of view, it's a, from my point of view, it's, it's a, a different kind of influence, one that is broader, uh, but, of course, not as deep as uh, when you have an operating role in a company. And I think right now in the field, um, having that kind of investment philosophy uh, could be uh, catalytic, uh, particularly when it's in the context of a very successful portfolio at Foresight that already applies, um, you know, rigorous scientific principles and processes to make investment decisions, uh, and and that's why I thought that that this is an ideal uh, place for me right now. I thought we could run through a few Foresight investments and, and have you offer some thoughts on what makes them unique and. What made them compelling investments for Foresight? Perhaps we can start with Insistro, which is using large data sets to train machine learning models to improve drug discovery and drug development. What, what attracted you to Insistro? Um, so going back again to the, to the kind of template that I outlined for successful data science companies, I think, first of all, uh, Daphne Kohler is an outstanding individual. I mean, not only is she a scholar of some renown in this field, uh, but she's one of the few uh, at her level who are as rigorous, who have also had a deep exposure to uh, biology and to kind of contemporary problems in drug discovery and drug development. Um, so that combination of rigor and understanding of the uh, uh, problems that, uh, that are faced in the drug discovery process, that, that's very rare. Um, and then the thesis of the company really involves prospectively generating data um, that uh, are really amenable, collected in a way to make them amenable to some of these new machine learning driven approaches. Um, and so from our point of view, uh, though it's early, it uh, checks many of the boxes that I think are, are uh, missing um, in what um, you could say is a is a crowded space from the from the external viewpoint. I think as you zoom in and look at the details, there are very very few examples of people trying to do what what Daphne is is doing. 
Another foresight investment is LifeMind Therapeutics, which is combining genomics with artificial intelligence and synthetic biology for discovering new drugs through the knowledge about biological function hidden in biosynthetic genes of fungi. This seems to be a much more narrowly defined approach. What attracted you to LifeMind? You know, it's an interesting one. It really is driven by the observation that natural products uh, have historically been some of the most disruptive and innovative medicines um, in our time. So if you think about uh, what are still out there as some of the most uh, problematic targets, including RAS and RNA getting across the blood-brain barrier and the insulin receptor, um, we feel we need to be looking uh, in different places than a traditional drug discovery approach. And then if you take the other side of that and think about various protein therapeutics, antisense uh, RNA, even CRISPR-Cas9 and some therapeutic viruses, these are all natural virus, uh, natural products that have given us answers to difficult drug discovery questions. So with, with that as context, um, we're really utilizing the genomes of fungi for novel chemistry. And um, you know what we found is with a significant degree of species crossover between the genomes of fungi and humans, uh, we feel like it's a, a ripe ground for that. Last, I wanted to ask you about MindStrong, which is in a different realm. This is more of a digital health play. It's capitalizing on work in measurement science and new models of care delivery to provide continuous objective measures of cognition and mood to give patients and providers confidence they'll be alerted to early signs of mental health deterioration. Why that? Sure. It, it's, um, I think, again, for, for context here, remember, even for the antidepressant medications that are approved today, these are drugs that when they went through phase three, somewhere in the range of 50% of those phase three trials didn't work. And that's for drugs that have been approved by the FDA for the treatment of depression. And so clearly there is a significant problem and unmet need here. Um, and part of that is driven by the very subjective measure of how we uh, are observing patients with depression over time, be it uh, subjective measures from the physician or subjective measures from the patients themselves. So what MindStrong is developing is basically a passive information collection platform driven by inputs into your smartphone, which obviously millions of people carry around every day. They interact with it in many, many different ways. And uh, the MindStrong thesis is built around the idea that the ways in which we interact passively with our smartphone is essentially a window into various states of our mood, be it typing, cadence, swipe, speed, etc. And so uh, this is essentially a large-scale data collection initiative tied to uh, clinical measurements in an effort to deliver to the field of psychiatry, uh, potentially for the first time, uh, truly objective measures of mood. And this has implications for both uh, trial design, trial conduct, trial efficiency, as well as what you alluded to in terms of early detection and changes of mood where intervention may have a higher likelihood of success. There seems to be a, a wide agreement that there's an opportunity to shorten the time and lower the cost of drug development by bringing large data sets and machine learning to bear on the problem. I, I think it still remains a, a bit unproven. What do you think it will take to prove this out, that we will get better drugs cheaper and faster than through traditional approaches to discovery and development? Well, I think ultimately it will take uh, a few examples 
uh, and it is um, you know very early period in the application of these methods and these data sets to problems in drug discovery and drug development. Uh, but even the two examples that Brett just went over, uh, LifeMine and MindStrong, are concretely uh, attacking problems uh, in drug discovery in the first case and uh, that are applicable to clinical development in the second. Um, so you will see, I would say, in the next three to five years, um, the results of many such experiments, including the ones that are in our portfolio, um, and that will generate evidence for what approaches have been successful and uh, what approaches are, are, are less successful. I agree that it's unproven, but uh, the uh, evidence is, is coming. Ultimately, what do you think will distinguish the, the winners from the companies that, that try and fail? Uh, I, I mean, I think in the data science space, uh, if you, again, look at the data science-intensive companies that are in our portfolio and that we have uh, discussed in this call, they include Grail, Incitro, LifeMine, and MindStrong. In all those cases, they have a relatively clear formulation of a set of scientific or clinical ideas that are being tested that are very important ideas in the field. Um, so in LifeMind's case, for example, it's that you can really mine fungal genomics to access the enormous chemical diversity of natural products, and you can do that in an intelligent way by understanding the genomics. In MindStrong's case, it's that you can, for the first time, model clinical phenotypes relating to moods and mood disorders stably and objectively. So there's a clear hypothesis, and in all these cases, the companies are actually generating data that are going to result in data sets that are actually powered to answer these questions, and they have very clear approaches to test ideas that come from observational uh, examples and validate them. Um, so I think uh, if you apply uh, that kind of template that, that we've outlined before, um, from my point of view, that right now is going to be the best predictor of success, which of the companies really understand the hypotheses, are generating the right data, and are interpreting the data in the right way. Yeah, and re really everything we've been talking about is under the header of precision medicine, right? Getting the right therapies to the patients that are most likely to benefit them over time. And in a world where we're very clearly, inexorably moving towards some form of an increasingly value-based system, uh, those kinds of insights, again, what are the therapies that are most likely to benefit which patients, uh, we believe will be the winners over time. Fred Zabar and Vic Bajaj, both Managing Directors of Foresight Capital. Brett, Vic, thanks so much for your time today. Thanks well, for thank having you as well. Thanks for listening. The Bio Report is a production of the Levine Media Group. To automatically download this podcast each week, subscribe to our RSS feed or through iTunes or other podcast manager. To join our mailing list, go to levinemediagroup.com. We'd love to hear from you. If you want to drop us a line or are interested in sponsoring this podcast, send email to danny at levinemediagroup.com. Special thanks to Jonah Levine, who composed our theme music, and the Jonah Levine Collective, which performs it. <laughs>